0: From the 809 Restaurant and Lounge in the heart of Inwood, New York City, welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air, where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home and what we affectionately call Upstate Manhattan. I'm your host, Aaron Sims, and today we're turning our spotlight on professional actor and stuntman Calvin on. After graduating from Oberlin College, Calvin moved to New York City to pursue a career in performing arts. He immersed himself in studying stage combat, film combat, and has trained in martial arts for 20 years. He holds a black belt in Taekwondo and has studied Kajukenbo, a traditional Northern Shaolin Kung Fu, and Jeet Kune Do. He currently is an instructor in JKD and Kung Fu in New York City, as well as a NASM certified personal trainer. As an actor, he has studied the Miser technique at the Neighborhood Playhouse and the Barrow Group, and studied film acting at Stella Adler. He has appeared on such shows as Law & Order SVU, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, and Gotham. As a stuntman, he has appeared on such shows as Cobra Kai, Lovecraft Country, FBI, and many others. We're going to talk to him about acting, fighting, and so much more. But first, Calvin, welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Uh, how are you hanging in there, man? I just want to check in with you first it is cold out
1: there today did you notice that like I today feels like that. the first real day of winter
0: maybe you should wear a sweater or
1: something. I, sh- I should you told me to look nice <laughs> like and you're wearing, to go
0: just for you know for those who aren't, who aren't watching the video version of it. <laughs> calvin's in here with a rolled up sleeve shirt no undershirt like opens open collar it's like your. it's like
1: spring for you he I'm... told me to look nice this is how nice looks <laughs> so yeah
0: <laughs> you look nice anytime my friend uh, I'll thank, tell you.
1: Sir. thank you good to see you but uh I...
0: <laughs> no wonder you're cold, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, well, uh, it's unmistakable from the path you have chosen that you have two major passions, It's or so it seems, mm-hmm. uh, the performing arts and martial arts. Yes. I'm curious, which emerged first?
1: Martial arts was the first thing to emerge because I was bullied a lot as a child, so eventually I reached the point where I didn't want to be bullied anymore, so... I decided to take up Taekwondo and from there just kind of spiraled into a lifelong path and goal that kind of led me to where I am now. So yeah.
0: And how old were you then?
1: I was 15.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So like the middle school, high school age going oh, yeah. That.
1: yeah. Not exactly the most popular kid in school, so being bullied a lot wasn't a really big fun thing. And then just, you know, one day I decided I need to do something different, change things. So Yeah.
0: yeah. But good for you yeah, um no, thanks i'm always excited to hear about the types of martial arts that people are interested in and the different disciplines people are uh practicing and you have a great experience in three you said taekwondo uh is it kajukenbo is that how you kajukenbo say it? yeah ka-jukenbo, excuse me and uh, jeet kundu uh, so could you first give a bit of background on each um sure. to our listeners and if you would share how each of these have informed you in your personal life in your professional life too sure
1: uh taekwondo was my first base art it is a korean martial art base primarily uh focusing on kicking with a little bit of punching here and there but it's a dynamic style basically it's very showy you can show a lot of flair there are a lot of spinning kicks a lot of jump kicks and all that so as a kid growing up you're just like "Ooh, i want to be able to do that stuff and so different from other sports like say football or baseball it's just like more of a unique opportunity to focus on self-development and work on yourself as a person and individual. So, yeah, that got me all the way up through junior high, high school, into college, and to where I am now. Uh, Kaju Kenpo was an art I studied back in college. It's a Hawaiian martial art. Some people even say it's the first, the world's first mixed martial art because basically four masters in Hawaii derived from karate, uh, judo, jiu-jitsu. Kenpo, which is a Chinese... Uh, kung fu style, and boxing, American and Chinese boxing, which is kung fu. And they all decided to come together back in the 40s and 50s and compare their styles and compare the best parts of each style. And they would, the way they go about testing the effectiveness of it, would they would go into the slums of Hawaii and get into bar fights and try to figure out to see, does this move work? Does this move work? This one does. This one doesn't. All right, let's get rid of that. We'll keep this one. And then it just kind of delved, uh, spiraled and snowballed into something bigger as time went on. Unfortunately, we don't have schools here in the city to further pursue it, but you know, I do miss it and all that. I still practice it every now and then. And uh, what was the third one? G- uh, JKD, Jeet Kune Do? Uh, Jeet Kune Do, yeah. Yeah, Jeet Kune Do is Bruce Lee's uh, martial art. It was his own personal expression of how he thought the martial arts go about. Some would even say he's considered the father of mixed martial arts today, MMA. But uh, yeah, Bruce Lee was a childhood idol of mine and here to look up to, you know male role model if you will and uh yeah it was a, it was a style i always wanted to study and i found a school here about 10 11 years ago and been training there ever since
0: that's awesome man yeah thank you and uh so those bullies haven't come around in a while i take it
1: not so much so
0: <laughs> i would think that it's a good thing though yeah absolutely yeah uh well going in towards your um with that firm uh base in your your personal life uh do you remember the first time you merged um your martial arts with the acting do you remember when that was i know exactly
1: when that was that was the winter term of my sophomore year of college i was just exposed to acting at that point but i didn't really have a full grasp on the technique of it or how to go about doing it and uh, i originally studied method acting and it just went right over my head i didn't really understand it's like my life is not that interesting. I don't have that much sense memory to really delve off of. It's like, okay. But um, my first stage combat teacher here in New York came out to my school and did a winter workshop on stage combat. And from there I realized, there's sword fighting in the theater and I can go about mixing martial arts with acting and performing? And I was just like, yeah. And so from there, after that uh, winter workshop, I continued to study with her in New York for about six, seven years after that. And, um, from there I managed to transition from, you know, college into the theater world here by focusing on the stage combat aspect. Wow. Yeah. Well wow. Theater happens
0: in the moment, as you know, and, and film happens well after, you know, the editing bay mm-hmm. <laughs> is piecing it together. Yeah. Uh, aside from the differences and how the content is put together, mm-hmm. um, could you talk to me and our listeners a little about the delineation of how stage combat is created
1: versus how it is created for film and television? Okay. Uh, stage combat for theatrical purposes, um, the theater anyway, um, it's designed to be as flashy and showy as possible because you have to cater not only to the people in the front row, but to all the people in the nosebleed sections of the theater as well. So they have to be able to see all the action and Uh, whatnot going on stage and a good choreographer will be able to tell a story through the motion so it's not just two actors waving sword props around trying to look like they know what they're doing usually a good choreographer will be able to manage to tell the story through the violence itself and by making the movements as big and showy as possible it can reach not only the people in the front row but the people all the way in the back to really understand what story is being told from the action it's not just acting 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 fight scene back to acting 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 if anything the fight scene should help contribute the intensity and progression of the story if done well and so from there transitioning to film and television film and television everything has to be more compact because you're com- you're playing more to uh, a smaller dimension whether it's like a widescreen TV or a small TV but the movement has to be captured very specifically on camera but because uh, the camera is mainly stacked up in a I think mean, once we're a two dimensional world, you can easily have certain techniques translate where you don't actually have to make contact with a person or is like on theater, on the theater stage, everything has to be more ma- more precisely mapped out, but you can get away with so much more because you have more space and room to maneuver. Well, you've
0: had experience in both mediums and given the preciseness of film and television, um, versus versus the we'll say um the grandeur of theater but yet still precise Mm -hmm. obviously uh and you've had an array of roles that you've played in your life that have given you the opportunity to practice both um a few if i remember from following your career that as i have you played Macduff in the pan-asian rep shogun Macbeth, Mm -hmm. um aramis in the Inwood shakespeare festivals three musketeers Mm uh which are both fighting roles i'll say yeah. uh stunts in the daredevil series uh john wick 2 among many others uh digitally so do you recall um particular combat sequences on stage or screen that was particularly challenging to execute for those reasons you're telling me because you, you're not just learning the moves you're in to execute them but you're also understanding how they're going to be communicated to an audience mm-hmm. uh
1: yeah and um in certain, uh, certain shows, let's say Gotham, for instance, uh, uh, there, was one, there was one time I had to execute a certain fight scene with uh, one of the main, main actors. And because of time crunching and also just weather conditions, we were kind of rushed for time. And so trying to execute certain simple movements on any other day, which would be probably easier to pull off. This particular day was a little bit more difficult, just because depending on where the camera was, you had to be very very specific in not only just a reaction but also where your attack was and so certain days it's pretty some days you hit the nail right on the head and just be like all right you know one or two takes boom you get it other days you just have to focus down and just find that patience to be like all right i'm not getting this how do i adjust this where's the camera trying to take into trying to take into account that with film tv you always have to account for where the camera is it's not just what the audience in theater you can just let it go and just hope for the best with film and TV, you have to be very, very specific. So, uh, given that specific, specificity, uh,
0: is there one stunt or fight in particular that comes to mind? You remember completing and being crunched for time or whatever reasons, uh, film and TV industry for people should know. It's always about how much time you have on set to accomplish mm-hmm. so many things. Um, I'm just curious that if you ever walked away one day
1: going, wow, I'm lucky. That didn't go another way. Uh, Yeah, actually, I'm not going to name the show, but there was one particular show that I had to do that involved a fight scene, and I almost lost an eye. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so Nishini uh, was uh, starting off a fight with one of the actors, and I had to adjust for the camera, and unfortunately, and this probably was my fault, I didn't tell the actor at the same time that I was adjusting for the camera, and so one thing led to another. I got... A weapon were probably you know i got very lucky it just didn't really hit me straight on in my eye but just low enough that you know caused a little bit of a scratch and required a couple stitches but for the most part got it liquid bandage on it and managed to finish out the rest of the day so <laughs> the, the director the director and the casting crew are very happy about that because they're just like we don't want to have to come back here it's just like, all right, just tape it up and let's finish it off. And so rub some dirt on it and walk it off. Exactly. We did it. And the director was very thankful. I was like, thank you so much for finishing this. And I was like, yeah, you're welcome. But, uh, yeah.
0: Well, I'm curious with as kind of, I mean, listen, I, I'm being a producer myself. We always want to get the job done. I totally understand. I also have an acting background, uh, I've played every position on the field, so to speak on mm-hmm. stage and off. Um, I'm curious if you think times are going to change because of COVID and all because like, it's not about disease, so to speak. It's about precautions and health and safety. Um, yes, sure about being feverish or being symptomatic, but I think it's also going to bring in a different kind of awareness to sets uh, backstage and on stage and on screen. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, well, right now there are productions going on in New York I think outside the city they are managing to make production still work. Uh, the only downside is because of COVID, you know, number of stunts and the amount of stunts they can do and the type of stunts they can do is actually pretty severely limited, I think, at least from my current knowledge. Um, whether or not things come back, I'm optimistic. and I'd like to say yes, because with the vaccine, hopefully, you know, people will be able to like be in close quarters with each other and not have to worry about the slight case of death coming down just in case they get coughed on or breathed on by someone who happens to be infected and all that of course they're also now with the multiple variants on the world right now we have to be take that into consideration um so to fully answer your question i'm optimistic as to whether it'll happen this year or in the next couple years i hope so but i'm not so sure well, it's to be, yet to be seen of course
0: um, of course. But- there is uh but i I was thinking i was just looking for a silver lining there hopefully that if something good can come out of this is that maybe there are more precautions for film and television and theater that will aid in the execution of making a safer workplace all around Mm -hmm. because of what's had to happen because of the pandemic um but yeah i mean listen they closed they used to close the place houses all the time and the james the first you know shakespeare and and they didn't have Netflix. Yeah, they didn't true. have their PDA devices, and uh, and, and it's, at least we have a lot of great content mm-hmm. to keep us all um, hopefully on our toes. And absolutely, uh, and like I said it's been such a great do-it-yourself culture. And but speaking of creating content, um, although it was filmed a while ago, you worked on the recently premiered episode and season of Cobra Kai, oh, yes. the third season, which came out like this. Uh, January 1st recording this in January so uh, the end of January here so it came out in January Uh, what was that experience like to record it so long ago and see it
1: like now (laughs) Uh, it's a little surreal um, because considering the fact that it was two years ago that we shot it was in the summer of 2019 and so 2020 has gone by it really feels like the blink of an eye even though nothing really much happened this past year but um, yeah originally I thought I was going down just to work as a you know regular stunt person just you know taking hits from the major actors and all that and trying to sell the hits and whatnot help contribute to the story and i didn't find out till i got on the plane who the contract what the contract was and who i was actually doubling for so it was like oh well that's exciting <laughs> and so um getting down there it was, getting, it was great to work with you know the actors great to work with the uh, stunt coordinator and whatnot and it didn't really dawn on me until after the whole shoot uh finished was just like i actually got the work with two actors that i grew up watching as a child like on the big screen like karate kid karate kid part two and like these were major you know major movies that you know helped define part of my childhood it was just kind of ooh karate that's pretty cool and then to have him go to okinawa okay, it's just like oh wow now he's in different country oh there's a bad guy oh he kind of looks like me and oh he's kicking his butt and all that and so you know just have it was a little bit surreal just having to encounter you know these actors now and currently where i am now just seeing like the whole journey from where i was as a kid to now it was just well
0: just surreal the reason why i bring it up too and i think you should say their name just so you like the character was chosen chosen yeah right and mm-hmm. then of course ralph macchio is the karate kid himself daniel mm-hmm. um who you worked with uh I, well, the reason why i wanted to bring it up because i thought it's such a great full circle moment for you uh when you said you started at 15 learning martial arts to escape bullies and Karate kid is all about escaping bullies yeah. st- standing up for who you are, finding your identity um and uh and standing up for yourself and uh i think I was very very proud of you and as thought it was amazing that you got to be able to fulfill that childhood dream yeah, and, nice. uh and it is kind of quite personal significance to you but also a great professional accomplishment
1: oh thanks yeah it uh yeah it's it, it is a good great pref- professional accomplishment um yeah i just uh trying to just be humbled by it and just grateful for the opportunity and all that so yeah, yeah. and then you know with COVID here now it's just that ever lingering thought is like will i get to work again and
0: well what have you been doing now to keep your head above water during COVID? i mean uh it's it's been challenging for everyone and and i think it's worth to be said if you for a little bit of context as well that you know there are, there is no live theater. There is no live concert series. At least there's not supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's, there, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, we we you can't you can't attend anything in person uh, because of the significance of possibly hurting someone else and, and infecting them, and then and also taking care of yourself too. So, um, our entire industry has been wiped out. We're doing this. Uh, I'll just say again thanks to our local supporting for our local small businesses and um we're doing this to support local artists and uh give some renown to these small businesses who are struggling uh to stay yeah. afloat uh because it's it's a do-it-yourself culture right now and so um what are you doing to keep yourself in business um
1: one big help since the city's opened back up has been Training for myself. I always had the philosophy of never stop learning, never stop training. So, regards to training, that involves reading up on acting techniques, studying cinematography books, uh, going to the gym, working on my own physical self and my mental, you know, health and whatnot. Um, just and basically focusing on trying to become a better version of myself with each passing day, and it it really has helped me just maintain a sense of like purpose during this whole dark time because I have friends who basically kind of felt like adrift at sea with COVID because their job no longer exists or they can't work or they have families to feed or they have, you know, dreams that they have to like put on hold just due to, you know, life in general. But um, yeah, for me personally, it's just having something that I can focus on to help better improve myself has really made a huge difference on my own physical and mental health and I think actually, I feel better than I did probably a year ago, considering the fact that, you know, we've been isolated for so long, or most of us anyway.
0: Well, I think both acting and martial arts are great discipline builders. Mm -hmm. Um, And for those of you who haven't followed a career in the arts, let me tell you, um, you have to have incredible amount of determination and discipline Mm -hmm. to still be here. And uh, you've had a career for over twenty years now in show business. Uh, let it be said, wow, yeah. and uh, <laughs> which is incredibly commendable. Um, so, what have the key choices in your life been that you've made in sustaining yourself, both mentally and financially? We'll say. Yeah. Uh, but but it, it plays into like it's an identity question too. I have to say. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Uh, basically. I've been working as a professional actor since I was 22. And I didn't actually rely solely on acting, at least for a while, from until I was 26 up until my early 30s and all that. And what it taught me was just the importance of not only, like, having routines, rituals that, like, help keep you focused throughout the day, also learning what are the priorities in your life. Like, do you really need to buy that movie? Do you really need to, you know, buy that jacket, whatever, for, you know, because sometimes your social life. things get lean. Yes, exactly. So you learn how to focus on what's really important, having a roof over your head, having food in your stomach, and uh, maintaining your physical and mental health. Those were my main priorities. And so, yeah, I, I learned early on just trying to be as frugal as possible while maintaining a life in the arts was the best way to go about trying to be successful. Because when there are good times, it's good. When there are lean times, you better learn how to make them last. And figure out your way through them because eventually it'll get better. But you know, having those lean times and no one, and having gone through those times, it makes you fully appreciate the uh, the better times. But you know, you don't lose that knowledge of what to do and how to survive during those lean times. Right. Well, like
0: I said, it's in- incredibly self-disciplined of you to say that, and I think uh, coming out of these lean times, I I sure as heck hope that greener pastures are on the horizon for us all. With New energy behind racial equality, the election of a new president, Mm -hmm. uh, the hypersensitivity I will see of studios and networks and theater companies. They seem to be focused on ramping up again production, Um, just waiting for the green light. And uh, they want to focus on diversity and multiculturalism um, and also hopefully with tax cuts for Mm -hmm. doing more local work here in New York City. Absolutely. Uh, So do you feel... um, the steps that you see are being taken and uh, the ones are hopefully in motion uh, that are going to translate into more job op- job opportunities in the industry for actors and stunt people of color and Asian descent.
1: Absolutely. I think because every, every culture, every group, every ethnic group has stories to tell. And so the more you diversify and get these people's stories and opportunities to showcase them, not only in film and TV, but also on stage, I think there's just... There's just a plethora of great content out there that's just waiting to be created. And just, you know, limiting yourself to like one, you know, aspect of it, of like, you know, just telling one certain group of stories and be like, yeah, but this is tried and true. We know that these stories, you know, will bring in, you know, money or box office, whatever. But it's like, no, it's like we're at this point now where everyone has such a wide verse of stories to tell. And like, our business is all about storytelling. So, why not hear what other people have to offer in regards to like their stories? You like learn something else that you never knew before and be like, wow, I never knew that. That is so interesting. I'd like to learn more about that. And so diversity, I'm all for it. I just think is you as know, long as there are storytellers out there to tell these stories, I think we're a great boon of material to come out in the near future, which hopefully will happen sooner rather than later. I'm into that. So yeah. Uh, are there any particular stories you're interested in telling? Um, I have stories that I'd like to tell from a stunt perspective, but, you know, it's all a matter of also just trying to get people together and also, you know, learning the cinematography and also the you know, f- film language, if you will, of shooting this stuff. Because I could bring in other people, but learning how to do this by myself and having quarantine time to actually take the time to learn all this, it feels better. So, yeah.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And can you talk a little bit about what that language is, that stuntman language? Because it's a different
1: language than being on, doing theater language. Uh, It is different, but stuntman language is essentially just film language. So learning how to tell a story, not just through verbal dialogue, but with the uh, action or the dynamic motions of, you know, the people performing them on camera. And so, like, stunt acting, stunt fighting is no different than, you know, regular film acting or even you know, stage acting or stage combat for the most part, as long as you're telling a story that, you know, helps contribute, you know, you know, another aspect of the storytelling dialogue and drives the story forward, then, you know, you're doing your job right.
0: So, and I think it's smart of you to say that. And I just wonder, I wanted to reinforce it with that question because at the end of the day, it's all about moving the story forward. Gross. Uh, it's not a insertion of action for action's sake. Well, we mm-hmm. hope not. Sometimes you watch the movie, they miss the boat on that. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> or play too, for that matter. But um, it's uh, it's very it's worth saying and repeating. That's why I brought it up again. Is that we it, we are storytellers fundamentally, mm-hmm. and it's like what part of the story is the audience going to understand by doing this. To this person at this mm-hmm. time in this exactly. context. And I think that's important for people to know that it's if you, if you, if the motions uh, of what you're doing tell that story, you're in good shape. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have any parting words of advice to anyone who wants to break into the stunt industry
1: but doesn't know where to begin? Um, I would say focus on learning movement training whether it's dance or martial arts uh take an acting class learning how to like perform on cam, learning how to perform on camera but learning how to say lines truthfully and you know spot on spontaneous showing sponta- uh, spontaneity on the spot is always a really good thing um never stop training yeah don't think that just because you studied at a renowned acting studio that all of a sudden that you don't have to, like, train anymore. Or just think that just because you got a black belt in whatever martial art means you don't have to train anymore. Like, all the greats, whether they're great actors or great stunt people, the great stunt people are constantly training nonstop when they're not working. And so that's something I strive to, you know, equal like equal myself as, uh, as much as I can. But, uh, yeah, just keep training. Never stop learning. Those are great
0: parting words of advice. Calvin, it's been such a pleasure having you here, man. Great seeing you again. Great seeing you again, man. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Thank you so much. Uh, Is there a place that people can go to learn more about your work and keep up with you? Um,
1: (laughs) Social media, Facebook, Instagram. I don't have a webpage, unfortunately, but maybe this year I'll I'll remedy that.
0: But you have an IMDb page, right?
1: Oh, IMDb page. Yes. Just uh, look up Calvin on IMDb and you'll find all my uh, credits there. There you go, folks. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: listeners, go to IMDb and see and watch all things Calvin On. Uh, thanks again, Calvin, for joining me on this Artist Spotlight episode of In What Artworks On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home here in Upper Manhattan. If you have a moment, please show us some love right now by rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Deep thanks here to our friends at 809 Restaurant and Lounge uh, on the heart of Dykeman Street uh, for hosting us. It's really wonderful to have this kind of local support, and we're happy to support them. Uh, thanks to Janine McAdam and Heightsites.com for local uptown promotional support. Uh, be sure to follow them and us on social media. Uh, you can follow us at uh to keep up with all that we do online, which we do the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Fresco pop-up art galleries, live performances, and so much more. Uh, You can support us and all our free programming by making a tax-free donation at inwardartworks.nyc backslash donate. And Inwood artworks on air is made possible with funding from the NISCA electronic media and film grant program in partnership with Wave Farm Media Arts Assistance Fund and the support of Governor Andrew Cuomo and the New York State Legislature. Thanks also to NYC and Company Foundation with support from Manhattan Brewer President Gail Brewer. This is Aaron Sims for Inwood Artworks On Air.